Take your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're getting back into the gospel of Mark. We've been studying through this together. We come to a pretty memorable story in Mark chapter 2. And as I was reading through the story, I noticed something. I don't know as you work through your own Bible reading if you notice new things. But, but I noticed as I was reading Mark chapter 2 that everyone in this story gets more than they bargained for. I don't know if you've ever gotten more than you bargained for. Right? Maybe you got a new puppy. So cute. Oh my goodness. Remember I had a coworker back in Colorado when I lived, lived in Colorado that got a new puppy. And for about two months, she came to work like all bleary-eyed. Like what happened? Every two hours. Right? So cute! When we were uh, growing up, we bought a dog for the first time. And it was actually because my brother got an A in handwriting. That's why we got a dog. I don't know if any of you parents have ever made a similar deal. My brother had terrible handwriting. He had a C in handwriting. So my parents said, if you can get an A for one quarter, we will get you a dog. My brother desperately wanted a dog. Guess what happened to my brother's handwriting? <laughs> Improved. And uh, next quarter, he got an A, and we got a dog. And my parents had some friends who were hunters who raised Britney Spaniels. Anybody know what a Britney Spaniel is? Kind of, you know, so it's got like copper-colored uh, spots, cute dog, bird dog, raised to chase birds. My family, not hunters. But guess what happened if Anna the dog ever got out the door unleashed? Gone. You had no chance. And you spent the next hours <laughs> hunting the woods, driving around the neighborhood. She probably rolled in something. It was great. Sometimes you get more than you bargained for. Maybe you've bought a house. Now, hopefully if you bought this house, uh, you would expect the issues that come with it. But some of you bought houses that were uh, little fixer-uppers. Right? You get more than you bargained for, and the projects continue, and, and it's always dangerous to tear things off, right? Because if you actually tear things off, you find out what's underneath, and then your little project becomes a big project. Sometimes we get more than we bargain for. You know, as I was reflecting on this year, I was thinking positively how good God has been to us as a church. That, that really, what's happening here is way more than as I can speak for the pastoral team. I mean, I can. No one else is here, so I can say whatever I want. They can't, they can't even object. <laughs> but watching what God has done here has been humbling. It, it has truly been so much more than we could have asked or thought. And watching God take the faithfulness of almost 30 years that had been built here and then to kind of like bring in people and just throw the church forward. It's been more than we could have asked or thought. I mean, we had a meeting a few weeks ago with somebody about how do we expand the building. We, we didn't think we were having that meeting a year ago. I mean, I was telling Marty before we came, this time last year we were two weeks away from the vote to hand off and make some changes. And, whoosh. and it's been amazing to watch God provide and to bring families. I mean, to, to watch God bring the families and as we get to know you better, right, we get scared a little bit, but we get to know you better, and, but just to watch. We, we've had a couple baptisms this year. We, we've seen so many new people come through the doors. We've seen so many key families that God's brought, and 
have said, this is going to be our place. This is going to be our family. That, that's more than we bargained for, but in a good way. And we thank God for that. Mark chapter 2, watch this story. See if you can catch things going a little differently than people had planned. And when Jesus returned to Capernaum, that's kind of home base for him, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. By the way, he was probably at um, Peter's mother-in-law's house. If you remember the background on the book of Mark, Mark and Peter were close friends. And so that's probably where home base was for him. And so he was there. His reputation has begun to spread, verse 2 says, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. The greatest need that we all have is not Jesus' miracles, it's Jesus' truth. Jesus could have been doing all kinds of social things, but Jesus was teaching them, preaching to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now, now Peter's mother-in-law has a fixer-upper. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, not out loud, in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they questioned thus within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You know, as Jesus is revealed in the Gospels, we see that he's not someone you can put in a box. He's not tame. He's not afraid. He's not like we want to make him. He's much more than that. And we see that the account here starts with some men who have a friend who needs healing, but they get more complication than they planned for. Right? Can you imagine these men getting up one morning and hearing that Jesus was in a nearby town? We don't know if these men lived in Capernaum or if they lived in a surrounding city, but Jesus was there. And they'd probably heard of his reputation and and how he had healed other people. And they said, we have a friend that needs Jesus. He needs to be healed. He was paralyzed. By the way, we'll talk about this at the end, but it's interesting that the first two miracles of Jesus that Mark records are about leprosy and being paralyzed. Think about that a little. We'll come back to that at the end. But they, they grab their friend. Apparently, he's in a bad enough condition that it's not like... He's a football player that's injured that you can put on two people's shoulder or one person's shoulder. you got to carry him, and it took four men to carry him. So they carry him to Jesus. And they think, we can just bring him to Jesus like the crowds did, and Jesus will heal him. But when they get there, what happened? Right? It's like I-15 at 530. 
with an accident. Right? If you, if you told someone, how do you get from north to south in Salt Lake? You just say, you just take I-15 and all of us know what? That's a joke. A cruel, mean, unusual joke. Especially between, you know, 4.30 and 6.30 and maybe in the morning. I work at a school, so I don't see that too much, but it's like a parking lot. And, and so the Bible says that these men come to Jesus in what appears to be an easy opportunity, but they meet a much harder reality. There was no room to get to Jesus. It was wall-to-wall people. It's more complicated than they'd planned. Can I just say this to all of us? Coming to Jesus is both easy and hard. Staying with Jesus is both easy and hard. And if you think about the, the history that we have in the Bible from the Old Testament through the New Testament, that's always how it is. I mean, I relate with Zacchaeus, right? Like I get in crowds and I'm like, I think there's someone up there. And we don't know how short Zacchaeus was, but he was short. How could Zacchaeus see Jesus? Had to climb a tree. It was a little more complicated than he'd planned. Or maybe he had scouted out that tree for short people. Maybe that's what I would have done. You think about the woman who had a a bleeding problem, who had to fight through the crowds just to touch Jesus' garment, and she was really hoping to touch and get away unnoticed, and then Jesus just, you know, uh, brought her out of the darkness in the moment, and it got very complicated very fast. You think about people who had to travel long distances, or people whose children were dying. Like, coming to Jesus has never been easy. Just ask the disciples how it was staying with Jesus. Right? They were with thousands of people and Jesus said, hey guys, feed them. Okay, that night got complicated very fast. And then he said, oh, just cross, cross the Sea of Galilee. I'll meet you on the other side. And then what did they run into? A brutal storm that made fishermen scared to death. Just think back about the people of Israel. God delivered them from Egypt just to plant them in front of a sea where they might die. And then he took them through a wilderness where oftentimes there was no food or water. And then he brought them to the promised land. Only they had a Jordan River to cross and a Jericho walled and giants everywhere. Now, now was God with them? Was he leading them? Would he care for them? Is God with you? Is he leading you? Will he care for you? But it gets complicated, doesn't it? It can be really hard. Can I, can I give you a very hopeful message for 2019? It's going to be hard. It's going to be complicated. See, marriage isn't easy. Raising kids isn't easy. Being a church family isn't easy. See, as a church family, we're kind of on the, I feel like we're on the tail end of like the honeymoon stage. And then we're going to be like, wow, living with these people is hard. I mean, I love them, but they drive me nuts sometimes. And someday you're back there cleaning and you're like, man, this is just 
I'm just discouraged. Been there? Can you relate? Coming to Jesus is complicated. And these men had options, didn't they? They could have turned around and gone home and said, buddy, we love you, but not today. We have that option too. But what did they do? They responded to an easy opportunity that was a much harder reality with an active faith. They quite literally tore the roof off the building. I mean, it's an amazing story. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how big the house was. It doesn't seem like it was multiple floors. You know, I can't imagine that. You go through the roof, then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> what did they do? They, they, they responded with an active faith. They just kept pursuing Jesus. First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. But it gets more interesting from there. Look at verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, now, now what are they humanly hoping he will say? This is not complicated. This is fairly straightforward. If you had a friend who was paralyzed and you brought them to Jesus and Jesus sees their faith, right? Certainly the faith of this man, the faith of his friends. What are you, want, what are you expecting Jesus to say? You're healed. That's why they came to Jesus. And all of a sudden, we get more transformation than they were planning for. Like we sang about this morning, more grace. And Jesus said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus goes right to this man's greatest need and to our greatest need. Sometimes we think that our greatest needs are financial or physical or emotional but truly our greatest needs are always spiritual. The forgiveness of our sins, the, tra- the changing of our hearts. Aren't you thankful that this is where God's focus is? Aren't you thankful that this is where Jesus goes? Right? Because if Jesus merely heals this man, what does he fix? His body. Okay, if this man has been paralyzed for some period of time and Jesus fixes his body, what ultimately happens to this man because of the fall and sin? Something happens and at some point he dies. It's a temporary fix. If if God miraculously changes your financial position this year, can I share with you, it's just stuff. It's a temporary fix. If, if, if God miraculously helps you to lose 20 pounds this year and you have to buy a new set of clothes and stare in the mirror and flex and be impressed with yourself or ladies not feel as bad next to somebody else, right? Guys, we feel awesome about ourselves, right? 
We can make He-Man come out at any time. Ladies, you're like, do I look better than her, worse than her? Do my clothes fit better? It's a temporary fix. Can I say this? Even if you're battling something like deep discouragement, maybe even depression, and God helps you with that emotionally this year, it's still a temporary fix. But Jesus goes to the root of the the problem. He goes to the source behind it. He goes all the way to the bottom. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's concerned with. And if keeping you in financial pain helps you in your soul, then Jesus will keep you there. If keeping you in a difficult marriage is what Jesus intends for the healing of your soul, he will keep you there. I know some of you just wish your job would change. Jesus is concerned about deeper things than our jobs. Now that doesn't mean that he's unconcerned. But he has a deepest concern. He who has begun a good work in you not on you, in you, will continue to perform it until the day that Christ returns. So Jesus goes to this man's deepest need. And he goes there to make a point. Look at verse 10. This is the heart of this passage. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. In a sense, this man becomes an object lesson for Jesus. It it makes me wonder, what was Jesus preaching about? What was he preaching about? Repentance and forgiveness? And all of a sudden, his sermon illustration just dropped out of the ceiling? I'm I'm hoping that we don't have to do any ceiling repairs, but I don't think my sermon illustration is coming from the ceiling this morning. And Jesus went, your sins are forgiven. This man and his friends were worried about their physical needs. Jesus was worried about his spiritual needs. But he also heals this man. Verse 10, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were amazed and glorified God. You know, the temptation, especially this time of year, is to focus on the physical changes we hope will happen in the coming year. That we'll be more healthy or more wealthy. And so people sign up for Nutrisystem or join Planet Fitness or start a budgeting app or start saving for a new project. But God wants to transform who you are, not what you are. If you've never come to Jesus and said, I can't do anything to pay for my own sins, will you be my savior like this man needed? That's the start. But some of us who've been walking with him need to be reminded that the Spirit is actually trying to produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, meekness, self-control. That's what God is working at doing. That's the root So there was more transformation than this man planned for. 
I debated whether or not to tell you this next story. My wife will tell you that um, if I debated it, then she's really scared. She usually, I just kind of go right for it. Right? <laughs> Most of you know our family well, but you don't know us um, as deeply as maybe you know others. And I think like all of you, we come um, and we all put on our best and we, uh, we, we just try to, try to be our best self here. Is that fair? Right, if we're honest? It doesn't mean that our kids don't mess up or play, or, but at some point we become kind of guarded with, with the deep truths of our lives. And it's, it's kind of an ironic thing, but it's something God has used to keep me humble, is that I spend my life managing finances. Uh, Christy will tell you this, and we've been working on church finances together, and I run this at businesses. But for some reason, God, in his plan, had decided that our personal financial world was not going to be great. And so we've owned a home. We owned one in Indiana for five years. What, what's supposed to happen when you own a home? You're supposed to build... Equity, right. We owned a home for five years. We bought it right before the recession. Or right, yeah, right before the 2007, 2008 recession. Wrong time to buy. We owned that home for five years through the recession, and then we sold it. When we sold it, the bank wrote us a check for $500. That's not equity. And we bought a rental home. Rental homes are supposed to produce income, right. We moved from Indiana. God brought us to Colorado. That rental home went sideways. We sold it at a loss after a couple years of not being great. I took a job in Steamboat that didn't fully provide for what we needed. When we moved to Salt Lake City, Last fall, we moved with $30,000 of debt. That's humbling. You say, how could that happen? It happens. And some of you have been there in your life. Some of you have other areas of your life that you would say have, feel like you're $30,000 in debt. I took a job here, and at the time, the church was still trying to decide if we were even going to make this transition. And so on top of that, I knew that I had a $1,000 gap every month we did in our budget. You say, why does God let you be there? Because he's not concerned as much about the dollars in my bank account as he is what he's doing in my life. And so we prayed and prayed and prayed that God would release us from that and he would fix it. And we, we lived there for about, you know, coming into this year, we lived there for like three to five years. That is not an awesome place to live. And then we watched God do something amazing. In 2018, 2017, 18, every month God provided that $1,000 gap. One way or another. He never relieved our burden for the large part of that year. But he provided. And you know what he was doing? He was growing our faith. 
He was being gracious to us. And every month for the majority of 2018, we finished with less than $500 in our checking account. Every month. But never less than zero. Amen for that. Sometimes it was close. And then in the fall of 2018, through some things that happened, we got a phone call from someone that we know and love who knew our situation. I shared it with the other pastors. I haven't really shared it with you guys. And the person on there said a, said a line said, God has blessed us and we would like to resolve your debt. $30,000. And it was as if this weight had been lifted. But, but there was actually a realization that happened in that time because the person who did it said not only that, we actually want to make a significant contribution to help pay for Timothy's eventual, eventual schooling. And I realized something. God had kept us in that place of pain and hardship for years to change our hearts, to teach us to trust him, to develop contentment in little or in much. And then he had given to us abundantly. And I realized I'd gone from a place of a debt I couldn't pay to a wealth I couldn't earn. And you know what that is? That's grace. That's what God did for all of us when he sent Jesus. He paid for our sin in a way that we could never pay. You can't earn an ounce of your own forgiveness. You can't fix your own soul. Jesus has to look at you and say, your sins are forgiven. But it gets better than that. Because not only does he forgive your sins, he gives you the righteousness of Jesus. He takes you from a place of debt you can't pay to wealth you could never earn, and he does it because he wants to transform your soul. And in that moment, I learned things of eternal value that I could never have learned unless Jesus planned the way. Now, I'm not telling any of you that you can put $10 in the offering plate and Jesus will give you $50,000 this year. We'll probably never have another year like this in our lives. But God is doing something. He's doing something spiritual in me and in you. And it's by his grace. There's more transformation but the story goes on. Somebody else gets more than they planned for. Verse six, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus' heart work continues in those who don't believe. 
He perceives their wrong thinking. Have you ever been in a situation like this where you felt like someone said something absurd and you looked at your friends like that person just said something absurd? I was riding up a chairlift the other day with my brother who lives in Tennessee, who skis once every few years, who says to me, um, I think I could be a uh, ski patrol. You know, the guys with the, like, we can save you jackets on? <laughs> we can ski anything on this mountain and off this mountain, and should you fall off this chairlift, we would come and get you those guys? We can ski with trailers behind us. We can ski with stuff in front of us. When you get on that double black diamond trail you never should have been on, we will come rescue you. And my brother says, I think I could be ski patrol. Now, there was no one else on the chairlift with me at the time, or else I would have been looking at them like, is he nuts? I don't know exactly how the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day responded to what he said, what, what their spirit was, but I know they were looking at each other. And they were doing the calculation. And they were saying, he can't say that. Only God can say that. You know, oftentimes our wrong thinking starts partially right. There's evil in the world. Is that true? Yeah. So God can't be both good and powerful. Did we start in the right place? There's evil in the world. But we came to a wrong conclusion. Because God is both fully good and fully powerful. And all you have to do is read Genesis 1 to know that. Well, Jesus was a man, therefore he couldn't have been fully God. That's what these men are concluding. And Jesus stops them in their tracks, and he does so, first of all, by perceiving something. See that in verse 8? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus question with themselves, said to them. Now that word perceived doesn't mean Jesus has a hint. It actually means Jesus fully knew. He knew everything that was going on in their thoughts and minds. Now, I don't think these men expected what came next. They got more confrontation than they were planning for. And Jesus looks right at them and says, why do you question these things in your hearts? And it's as if his look says to them, I know exactly what you were thinking. That's humbling, isn't it? Because Jesus is not just full of grace, he is full of truth. And so he confronts their wrong thinking Jesus, I said this at the beginning, is unafraid. By the way, this is a part of Jesus that we have really tamed down. Jesus is fearless with the truth. We live every day of our lives as human beings with thoughts of, how will this affect me? What do people think? Will they approve of me? Will this bother them? Will they say something back if I say, do you recognize Jesus never lived in fear of people? He was fully true. And so he says to these men, what's harder? Saying this man's sins are forgiven or telling him to walk? 
Notice that he confronts with questions. This is good for all of us. Questions soften, accusations harden. But aren't you thankful that Jesus is not just abundantly gracious, but he's fully truthful? He's actually going to expose the wrong thinking in our hearts with his truth. He he exposed the errors of his day without apology. He was fearless. And he confronted the most powerful, revered, sacred men of his day with the truth. Let's not think he won't confront us. Jesus is full of truth. And then he proves his power. His power right now, look at verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth right now to forgive sins, to do eternal work. This is the heart of this passage. Ultimately, Jesus is actually using this paralyzed man to prove his own power. That he alone can forgive sins. I can't forgive my own, you can't forgive your own, but Jesus can. There's more confrontation, but finally, look at the response. There's more praise, there's more glory, there's more exaltation. Verse 12, the man rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. They responded with amazement. You know what that word amazement means? It actually has a parallel today that we talk about. Having your mind blown. That's actually the idea, to be out of one's mind. To have seen something that you can't actually process. Have you ever seen a a magician do things that you just can't process? Have you ever had that experience? Right, like even when you see like America's Got Talent through the TV screen and you're like, This guy is slamming his hand on bags and one of them has a knife in it. And I'm like, don't do that. He's gonna, oh no. I mean, he takes a car and he puts it through a balloon. And I'm like, you can't do that. It's the idea here. It's actually used in Acts of Simon the sorcerer doing things that people couldn't process. That's how Jesus is. What has he done here? He's forgiven this man's sins and he's raised him to walk. And people are blown away. Can I ask you something? When is the last time that what Jesus is doing in your heart and life and in the world around you led you to be amazed? Really? Don't we become numb a little bit? Like, I think probably if I watch magicians all the time, I probably wouldn't be amazed anymore, or very rarely. And I think sometimes if we're not careful, as we spend time around God's word and other Christians, we can grow a little bit numb to what God is doing. Can can I give you a, a resolution for the new year? Be more amazed at Jesus. Spend time stopping and not just thinking about the times that he provided something unbelievable, but just start thinking about what he's doing every day for you. And think about who he is. Be still and know that he's God. And at some point as you chew on those truths, something will happen in your soul. You will become amazed. Or you'll be singing and something will hit you in a new way. 
or you'll be praying, or you'll be in God's word. Wouldn't it be something if our year at Gospel Hope Church was marked by being amazed at what God was doing? And so they responded with praise, with celebration. We never saw anything like this. And I give us one last thought this morning. It's interesting that the first two miracles recorded in the book of Mark are Jesus' healing of leprosy and of paralysis. I thought that Danny brought this out so well back in the end of November, early December. But that leprosy is Jesus' power over the most shameful and despised of conditions. Are there conditions of your heart that are shameful? That you'd be thankful that no one else knows? Jesus has power over those things. But then over paralysis, I actually have a cousin who's paralyzed. His name is Michael. Michael's about my age. He's actually a couple years younger than me. The picture on your left is Michael in his early 20s. He's an adventurer. He loved uh, out the outdoors. He actually had a nursing degree, but he loved, just loved being outside, so he was a whitewater rafting guide in West Virginia on the New River. And he loved doing it. He would hike, he would climb. He would have been a perfect fit for Utah. And in fact, he was in Utah. He was in Moab in his early 20s. And he and some of his friends who were adventuresome were doing some bridge jumping. And Michael hit a rock, head first. They weren't sure he was going to survive. He ended up paralyzed. They life-flighted him to Grand Junction. And I remember watching in those early years as Michael wasted away and his body wasted away, and as a family, we weren't sure Michael would live. Because if you can imagine the transformation from full of life to paralyzed. This is a picture of Michael, what, a year and a half ago? This is with Timothy, that's Timothy, very small. You can see Michael's full of joy. He's found some things and friends and activities that just fill him up. But he's still paralyzed. And I guess he's what I picture when I think about the man in the story that we read. If we wanted to get Michael somewhere without the aid of his wheelchair, we'd have to get four people, maybe two, to carry him. But Michael's also experienced something else, hasn't he? Does he look different? Looks a lot different. He probably couldn't lift a three-pound dumbbell. If you popped him out of that wheelchair, he's still not going anywhere. He gets care in the mornings and the evenings because he's paralyzed. And yet Jesus' power extends to the place where he can say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And I say that for all of us this morning who experience things in our lives that are paralyzing. Maybe not things that are shameful, but things that we haven't overcome for years and years and years and years. And, and on, if you're honest, you worry so much that even if your problems were gone, you probably wouldn't know how to not worry. 
or you covet, or you're greedy, or you fight some sort of sexual sin. And I don't stand up in front of you this morning as someone freed from paralysis myself. There are areas of my life that I've fought for tens of years. Can you relate? But can I tell you something about Jesus? He has the power to free you. You say, that could never happen. It could. He might just give you grace for every day. But there's nothing beyond his power. So really, the good news for 2019 isn't that you can be more something. It's that Jesus is more. He's more gracious. He's more honest. He's more glorious. And so even when life is filled with more complication than we planned, we can respond in faith and we can praise him because he's really what this next year is all about. Lord, we thank you for your word. You are so good. And and we don't know what's in store for any of our lives as we look into 2019. But we know that for those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, you are with us every step of the way. Maybe for some who have not ever trusted Christ, we pray that that would be something that happens even today or this coming year, that they would experience the forgiveness of sins that Jesus offers, that he secured by his death and resurrection. And we're just so thankful that he is doing a transforming work in our hearts and lives one far deeper than money or our weight or our worry. He's doing a work. And so we pray that our lives will be filled with praise and with honor and with glory for him. God, we're just thankful that even as we read these stories, we know that these things aren't just 2,000 years old. They tell us of your character today. And so we are just thankful. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.